Welcome to the Lead Team Athletics Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Cognitore, and we have the pleasure of having a proud UST alum, All-American linebacker, Tony Dannon, with us today. How's it going, Tony? It's great. I appreciate you having me on here. We appreciate you coming on, Tony, man. Uh, first of all, you know, because I was hitting you up, you were on the Joe Rogan Podcast two days ago. Unknowingly, <laughs> you were on it. How, how, yeah. how do you feel about that? How nuts is that? You can't pay for that publicity. Um, to be honest, you know, right after it happened, so if, I guess if we want to get into this story, I can get into this story. <laughs> Let's get into it. Um, so my companies, they sent me over to Europe and uh, said, you know, figure out how we can expand our business over here. So jumping forward, I ended up in Sweden, and I was there for about three months. And one of the clients, I went into their office, and everyone was using their hand as authentication to get into the door. So I was like, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, we've got these chip implants in our hands. And I was like, ah, it's pretty interesting. And uh, the software technology we work with is self-checkout. So they said, hey, can you make this work with um, um, our employees that they can use their hands to self-checkout? And, of course, as any salesman out there, I said yes. <laughs> um, what I did, though, I called my owner and I said, you know, what do you think of this? And he thought it was the coolest idea ever. And... Um, so went back to him. Um, we ended up getting a hold of the people that had the chips um, that were doing the implants. And uh, we put out a little press release, uh, just a little stupid press release, seeing if we could get any marketing going with it. And uh, ended up, it went viral. It went more viral than I could ever imagine. I remember we put the press release out on a Friday. And by Sunday, my phone was ringing. My owner's phone was ringing. And it was the most wild two weeks I've ever been a part of. I mean, everyone from Good Morning America, Good Morning Britain. Uh, we were doing interviews at 1 a.m. at um, running down to St. Paul. Um, it was it was a wild couple of weeks. So when when it came out on Joe Rogan, um, it's like I've already been kind of through that rush. So it doesn't give you the same rush anymore. But uh, I definitely got a lot of texts and a lot of emails from people about it. Oh, man, that was blowing my mind when I was doing all the research on you. And I, I knew you guys were the first ones to do it. So then when he started talking about it, I just randomly listening to his show. And we were doing today's interview in, in general. I was like, oh, my God, in 24 hours, I'm going to have to be talking to him about this whole deal. I was tripping. <laughs> I was hitting up hazy about it and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was unique. I mean, w the quote that we put into the, uh, I guess, Marketing 101, it was, first American company to implant, uh, put chip implants in their employees. And it just ticked all the boxes. I mean, it ticks the religion. It ticks the box of um, like data privacy. Um, and then like in, within the workplace, you know, having too much control over your employees, which they're all completely false in my opinion. Um, but uh, it was, it was a wild ride. I've never, experienced anything like it i know me and my owner we talk about it all the time like i cannot believe that happened and um it's definitely something i'll never forget so what do you say to to guys like joe rogan post malone who are so scared of this chip that you're putting in your hand who are like what if they can control your brain what if <laughs> what if they could track everywhere you're at and 
they said mutilation in their code to remove it from you, but it's as easy <laughs> as removing a splinter and then Post Malone scream. That's the biggest effing splinter I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once you kind of understand the technology, I mean, where it's at right now, what we have, um, you know, in our body, it's it's a passive chip. So unless there's something that's like, um, if you stick your cell phone up to it, you can do a couple things, but there's nothing that can like track me unless I'm forcefully putting my phone on it. So it's all passive, um, like energy. So there's really nothing serious about it. Um, the way I kind of looked at it and the way I think that there's a future in it is like health. Like if you really dig into that chip and if it could ever get to a point where it can you know, predict diseases that are coming about on you and stuff like that. And that's where I think one day it will evolve to that. Um, I'm all about whatever technology makes me more efficient, effective, you know, can, can help my, my health and all that. I'm all for it. And if us doing that little stupid viral thing is one step towards that, I'm all about it. What we did with it, uh, we did the door access control. We did the printers. We did the um, stuff with our, our self-checkout kiosks. Um, we did um, where you scan it and it can bring up your passport. So the amount of ideas that we had generated from it was pretty fun to be a part of. But I do also understand where, like, the data privacy and all that comes into play. And where I think it's got to stay is it's – just like everything, it's got to be a choice. You've got to be able to make your own choice. If you want it, some of us want it. I think a lot of us millennials, we're all about that, all the technology that makes our life easier. If you're completely against that stuff, hey, don't get it. But uh, if that uh, that heart attack pops up on you and you had a chance to save yourself, I think you know people will think twice about it. But who knows where it's going to go. Um, it was a fun run. Uh, we don't do anything with the technology anymore. It did evolve into a couple businesses within our business, but there's nothing specifically with the chip. It's just some of the ideas that came from the chip that um, allowed us to open a couple different doors. That's very cool. I, I'm, I'm excited for the health side of it all. I am a little scared about the currency side of it all. <laughs> that yeah, that kind of freaks me out. It's already, what, 97% of all currency in the world is is all, or it's not even cash. You know what I mean? Three mm percent's -hmm. cash. The rest is all in a computer. Like yeah, telling us. I think it's crazy. I got more comfortable with it. So when I lived in Sweden, they they're extremely close of just not having any cash currency. Everything's digital there. Um, so I got into use of using the tap to pay there, and I remember when I was there three years ago, and I came back and I was using the apple pay on my phone in wisconsin at a gas station and i used it there and the cashier just freaked out she was just amazed by what just happened and i was like this is really like you know kind of two different worlds but just the simplicity of the contactless payments and how much it's used over here in europe um it's cool going back and forth because you kind of see what they're ahead of us in the u.s and what we're ahead of them and then kind of the correlation of all of a sudden they get something that we've already had and I'm like, big deal, same thing back at home. All of a sudden, contactless payments are kind of becoming big and people are like showing off. I know my dad's done a couple and he like shows off with the, uh, <laughs> the cashier now because he gets it. Um, 
but it's just fun. It's fun going back and forth, seeing what, what they do, but back to Sweden, they're, they're totally digital. They want cash to be outlawed. And, um, I remember the day I land, I went and took cash out at the, um, airport and I get into the car with a customer that I was working with and we went to get a coffee and I was like, no, 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 let me pay for this. And I whipped out my cash and he said, is that even uh, Swedish Corona? And I was like, I, I hope it is. I mean, I just took it out. He's like, I can't remember the last time I even seen a dollar bill. <laughs> so, oh my God. Yeah. That's where it's wild. So their grandmas aren't even handing out $5 bills for birthdays anymore. That's insane. No, no, they use uh, it's swish. So swish is like Venmo. Okay. For us, but swish, they can use it at restaurants and Venmo's like trying to get there with a lot of what they're doing on the retail side. But they use it everywhere. So transferring money to each other, even grandmas, parents, they all use it. And uh, you go to a restaurant, they'll pay in Swish. Um, gas station pay in Swish. It's it's pretty cool to see. The, the Swedes are cool people, really cool people. That's crazy, man. I'll have to get yeah. out there to see what it's like. Yeah. Well, you know, let, let's also transfer to, we were talking about the work. You're from Hill Murray, first of all. You played hockey and football, right? Mm-hmm. But you're a pretty damn good football player. Uh, I remember when I was at UST, it was kind of the two dudes I was scared of were you and Tommy Becker. You guys are very <laughs> large human beings. Um, but you ended up being an All-American linebacker. And you kind of were there when UST really transformed, man. I, I mean, I mean, Crusoe really sunk his, his teeth into everything and really brought the program along. Not that he wasn't doing it before us, but, I mean, that's when you guys were having 10-0 and 0 seasons. What Didn't you have four straight? Uh, my sophomore year, so starting out, I signed at Concordia St. Paul. So okay. like anyone at Hill Murray, I thought I was uh, an absolute stud hockey player. I was not. I was just kind of an enforcer out on the ice. But you play hockey at Hill Murray, you think you're really good. So <laughs> that's just how it works. So like football was kind of a back burner. And uh, whatever, I signed at Concordia St. Paul for football. Um, ended up the St. Thomas hockey coach was an old Hill Murray hockey coach. So he started recruiting me to play hockey, and he said I could play football at St. Thomas too. So I was like, all right, that's kind of a two-for-one deal. I'll take that. Um, so I went in there. Don Roney was the head football coach. Didn't even really recruit me. Uh, Blaine Tatro did a little bit more, who's an awesome guy. Um, he was the defense coordinator at the time. And uh, we went in, and um, I think – Man, our first four games, we were getting blown out like crazy. And I was like, this isn't very fun anymore. Um, and I was sitting on the bench as a freshman. And uh, all of a sudden, the starting linebacker um, got a concussion. And as a 190-pound linebacker, I got a chance to go in. And for some reason or another, I just had one of those games where, like, you could see everything and balls were dropping in my lap. I had, I think, a forced fumble, fumble recovery, an interception couple sacks it was just kind of one of those where you laugh about thinking about and uh so from there forward I I got to start the rest of the year um but we went two and eight that year um so it was a rough year in those eight losses we were getting pounded on pretty good now that was when the Mayak was a little bit more competitive like Carlton was really good at that time I think they were competing for a playoff spot um Concordia College was an absolute stud um St. Olaf had the coach from uh, he was recruiting all these guys from Florida that were different athletes. They weren't D3 athletes that were yeah. sitting up there for a while. Obviously, St. John's was good. Um, Gustavus was really good. I mean, 
it was it was it was a fun Mayak to be a part of. We were actually on the low end of it, obviously being two and eight. Um, and uh, you know, we even lost to Hamlin that year. So when you look back or look where we are right now as a program, it's like pre Caruso. It's pretty pretty cool to see. So the next year we jump in and uh, Caruso starts, and he brings in a freshman class that you know the Fritz Wall Vogos. Um, Man, they, we got all these transfers from Division Two. Um, we got Tommy Becker that dropped dropped down. Um, Curtis Big Bear was he the year after? Yeah, he came the year after. Um, the one that kind of gets forgotten and was one of the best offensive linemen ever at St. Thomas, in my opinion, is a guy named Josh Ostro. He's a freak. All, he's all decade team. Yeah, so he won the Remington Award. Now the best Ostro story ever is up at St. John's. Um, the first year we beat them, he broke his right arm, and he's a center, and he's snapping with his right arm, switches to the left arm just so he can stay in the game. So the guy's playing with a broken arm, and he's snapping with his left arm. So that kind of sums up who he is. But I played against him at South St. Paul, and he was intimidating and pounded me into the ground a few times. He's a big boy. He's a nice yeah. kid, too. Super nice kid, which is well, he's a He's a doctor now. So Is he really? Yeah, that's kind of what's cool about St. Thomas is these these guys are nasty on the field and then they turn out to be absolute studs outside. That's freaking cool. I didn't even know that. I haven't seen him in 10 years. Yeah. But uh I guess back to uh back to where so sophomore year Crusoe comes in and from where Roney was where it was like nothing bad about Roney. Everyone's got their own coaching style, but it was very lax and like we had man, I think like 250 guys in the program or something so there were guys that would skip practice and you wouldn't even know they're there they were gone because there's eight strings you know what i mean yeah so caruso comes in immediately trims the roster so you've got the 75 to 100 guys whatever it is that get invited to camp and then the guys that they invite to walk on after that which um is in my opinion like that makes it a lot more competitive and uh Camp was a lot quicker, and there's a lot less guys sitting around and whatnot. But so we did that, and that was a big shocker to a lot of guys. Changed our weight program. I mean, we started to get after it in the weight room. Um, the structure that that's the number one thing I think Glenn Crusoe provides is structure. I mean, everything is exactly to the time it's supposed to be. We we get. Um, you know, agendas, what's going on, practice. We knew exactly what we were doing, you know, every every period of practice. He'd do little switch-ups here and there to keep us on our toes. Um, got rid of conditioning because he wanted to make sure that we're putting everything into every single rep, um, you know. So that year we came in, and the first game of the year, we go down to St. Olaf, and we end up going into six overtimes with St. Olaf. So to put it in perspective where we're at right now, I think we beat St. Olaf like 97 to zero or something <laughs> a few years ago. We went into six overtimes and St. Olaf ended up beating us. So we started the season all in one. Um, we ended up um, going into overtime with Hamlin that year. And we ended up beating them on Crusoe's famous snare play. Um, I believe that was that year, but we ended up seven and three didn't make the playoffs so that was a bit of a, a disappointment but then the next year everything just started to gel together and I think the next year our only loss was to St. John's 
Um, and then we went off to the playoffs, went down to Monmouth, and then we went to Linfield. So where we were used to kind of having a closed vision, um, the Mayak was our world. We kind of saw the Wyak was a little bit over here. And now we see, okay, Linfield, these guys are some, some players out here. And that's, that's what playoff football is like. So um, we ended up, I think, going in the third round of playoffs that year. Next year, we, we lost to uh, Bethel, I think, in the playoffs. And then the final year, we went to the semifinals and uh, played against the, the mighty Whitewater at the, the time. And we lost to them. But uh, it was a good run. I mean, I think in the career... I think I saw some stat where Cruz has only lost like 13 games or something over his time there. Something you know crazy I like that. A, yeah. Hold on. Let me, I know I have that right here. He, at, at the time when you were playing, he was 126 and 21. Yeah. And that yeah. was a 12 year span. Yeah. That's pretty like, impressive. Dude. He's unreal. And he, he's a different human being, like nothing but good things to say about him. And like you said, structured. And when you talk to him, he, he's the kind of guy he could tell you, the grass is purple, but the way he's telling you it, the conviction, you believe it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. you, you go into a fire for that guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, what he's done for me during football, I mean, he was tough on me. I, the, by no means were we were we friends, um, you know, when I was playing there. He was tough. He was uh, made it known that he was kind of, the you know, he's the boss and, and we've got to follow his rules and it's his program. Um, then once we transition out of football, he's more of a, like a second father figure, you know, I reach out to him when I've got questions or issues or, um, you know, I want his advice on something. And like you said, you, when he speaks, you listen. So if he's offering you advice, you're, you're putting it in that mental bank there. Oh yeah. He, him and, and we were just talking off camera about tower, him and tower. They're just different human beings. UST. I don't know how they got so lucky with them falling in their lap. Um, and it's incredible to see them have this opportunity with the D one situation. And I know me and you are both excited to see what they do with it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? What, what you've been hearing from Caruso? Um, yeah, it's, you know, I've had short conversations with him. Obviously that a lot of stuff was kept, kept tight for, um, a lot of the time, but in, my opinion in this is like nothing anyone's told me. I, I do believe that this was something that was kind of in the works, you know, for a while. Um, so it was, <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to, trying to figure out what, what, uh, what I can say and what I can't say here. <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's exciting it, it, for me personally. I mean, you always kind of felt like, like there was something more that St. Thomas could do. Like what was the next step? You know, you could feel like the, the, the university like elevating as we were there. And then even coming back to campus, it was just like, man, you could even feel we were almost getting too big, you know, for the Mayak or for D3, whatever you want to call it. Um, so in my opinion, I think everything, you know, was planned out over a long time. I don't know if that's true or not, but um I think that what's cool about St. Thomas is they're kind of tackling this and they're saying, you know, what an opportunity instead of when we got kicked out of the Mayak, a lot of people would have probably been like, poor me, poor, poor this university. You know, they said, 
you know, what's our next step? What can we do next? And uh, um, they took a leap that that no one in the modern day has taken. I mean, going from D3 to D1, that's that's a big step, and that, that takes a lot of balls, you know. Um, there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of funding that needs to go in place. Um, so it's, it's going to be exciting to see where it is. Um, it was cool to see that the hockey team has also got placed into a conference with yeah. the CCHA there. That's awesome. Um, so I was really happy to see that as well. I'm a big, big hockey fan. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting, you know, traveling. Our longest road trip was up to Concordia. Um, and now they're traveling to Florida. They're traveling to California. Um, I think there's going to be some different looking athletes that are on campus there. Um, so I think one of the, the things that Caruso said to me that, that kind of stands out is the culture that, that he's built there and that he holds dear, dear to his heart. How do you make sure you keep that culture at the next level? You know, it's from, from the athletes that, that, that university attracts and that we have an opportunity to be surrounded with. Um, how, how do we make sure that obviously we're going to need a little bit better athletes. That's, that's a given. Um, but how do you make sure that they still have that mindset? Um, you know, that, that they're have not, you know, type of kids, um, you know, that work hard, that do things right in the classroom, that do things right, you know, in the community that have opportunities. Like we talked about with, uh, Josh Ostro going and being a doctor once he's done. How do we make sure that we continue to produce those type of kids? Because the Johnnies, everyone can say whatever they want about Caruso. That is the most important thing to him is making sure that, that the athletes that he has an opportunity to be around for four or five years go out into the real world and they're productive members of society. That's number one goal. And People can say what they want, that, that he's a jerk, that he's a, you know, he's an asshole, but number one, he cares about the people that come through that program. He cares about the alumni. And, um, I think that's the most important thing that's on his mind is how do I keep that culture together that we built up and that we're having success with and our student athletes are going out in the real world and being successful. How do we make sure that translates to the division one level? And he's, he's, and we said again off camera, but it, He's so much more than football. Like, he, when I was dealing with the stuff with my family, my grandfather getting sick, I was a nobody at the time. You know what I mean? I wasn't helping anybody with anything. He still was calling me, making sure I was okay, checking in on me more than when he was recruiting me. So, like, it was yeah. – he was, he was there. He was texting me, just making sure I was okay. So, that, that's a crazy thing because he does care a lot more about you as an individual than people even realize. And, again, people don't know that. They've never experienced him, and that's just – you know, who cares? Good riddance with those people. I know, but, I know. But, I mean, the, the thing that I keep thinking about is basketball, I could see them making an easy transition because it's a, it's a small roster. I think it's going to be very difficult to make that change in football. When you're talking, you know, 22 guys, you got to find 22 guys that are D1 players. And then, 22, you know, even it's, John you together. special teams. Yeah, I'm not even talking special teams. That's how crazy <laughs> it is. Yeah, I mean, there's this, three facets to the game there. Oh, my God. I don't even know. I mean, how long do you think it will take them to be able to really, really compete? And maybe, I, I do think they'll surprise people, too, with that leap in general. But I know Caruso wants to be the best of the best. How long do you think it would take him to get to that point? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot's going to have to do with the recruiting class that we get in this year. Yep. Um, because you're out there recruiting guys where it was supposed to be a D3 season this year, but you're telling these guys, hey, you're D1 athletes, you know, coming in. Um, so you've got that challenge. Um, you've got the challenge of no scholarships. Obviously, that that's going to make it a little bit tougher, but everyone within that conference, you know, isn't getting scholarships. Um, but then you got to look at the, the positives. I mean, there's two division one institutions, football institutions in Minnesota now. Um, so where a lot of these recruits from Wisconsin and the twin cities were going up to North Dakota state. Now I'm not saying we're North Dakota state or, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, South Dakota state yet. Um, but, uh, a lot of those athletes were going to those schools and that's what made them great. There's, there's a hidden pool of athletes, you know, within our area, within the Wisconsin area that were either being overlooked by the U of M or weren't being recruited and we're heading up there. So we can get our hands on a couple of those guys. Um, I think we'll see success. I think like you said, we'll surprise a couple teams in the first couple, couple years, but I wouldn't expect anything, you know, anything too much. But once you kind of get your crop of recruits in there and they develop. And so generally it's around year three, year four. Um, kind of you see it with PJ Fleck at the Gophers. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you know, his guys are coming about and uh, they've been doing some pretty awesome stuff there. Um, I think the same type of things once these recruits that they're recruiting this year, they develop, they grow into grown men. Um I think that's when we'll start to see some success. And I think, you know, um, just the way Caruso does things, I have a lot of confidence in them that um, I think they'll be competing, you know, by year four, no doubt. Yeah, I, I believe in him too, man. He, he's just a stud. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that uh, a lot of people will not realize, though, that a lot of these athletes, especially D1 athletes, I don't want to say that people want things easy, but a lot of people I feel like, when they're at that position, they're thinking just the sport. I think people are going to have a rude wake-up call at St. Thomas when they realize, man, I can't – if I miss three classes, I'm going to fail this class. If I mm-hmm. skip three times, they're giving me an F. Yeah. I think that's going to freak people out. Yeah, again, that kind of goes back into that culture thing, um, you know, maintain that culture. And I think if guys – that are the right fit and they come to St. Thomas, they're going to have a lot of success, you know, not even within that four years, but it's, it's the rest of your life. And, uh, that what you talked about, miss three classes and you're, you're out, you know, you yeah. fill that class. That's the beauty of that campus is it's, there's no fluff. Um, you either do your work and you do it well, otherwise go find another college. It's kind of the feeling and the mindset, you know, there. Oh, yeah, they're, they're no BS out there. They're ready to go. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up, too, I mean, you, again, your great career. You, you finished over 300 career tackles, finishing second overall in career tackles in 47 games. Um, you forced a lot of inter- fumbles. You had a few interceptions, a few fumble recoveries, 14 sacks, uh, 43 and a half tackles for loss. And you actually happen to have a lot of those games against Johnny's. Oh, <laughs> I want to talk about some of the Johnnies here and, and, and tell me some of your favorite memories. Uh, well, the number one favorite memory was, um, so our class was 
I I ended up um, was it my true junior year? I broke my legs. So I redshirted that year, so I got to drop back into the class with Crusoe's recruits, the first group of recruits. Which there's a lot of studs in that class, from the Fritz Vogels to the Ricky Marguerites to um, Chapman was an offensive lineman. Um, He's a big boy too. Chad Vandergraff, another big offensive lineman. Um, so myself and a guy named Danny Kane got to drop back to that class. And uh, me and Danny Kane were both recruited by Roney. Um, so our senior year, super senior year, the fifth year, um, St. John's came down to to us. And this was like our statement year. We, we knew how good we were. Um, and it was just our time to kind of put it to them. And we knew it. Fritz had his best game. I had my best game. DK as a D lineman had his absolute best game. Um, it was just one of those things where everything came together. We ended up beating them 63 to seven. I think if we didn't take our foot off the throttle, we would have probably beat them a hundred to nothing that year. But, uh, we did show some, some restraint there. <laughs> um, so that one, you regret felt that though. You definitely regret that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, that, that's definitely the one that stands out. I mean, you could feel that we, we sucked the life out of them and it sucked it out of them for a few years there. Um, I think it's also made them better as a program because before that they didn't really recruit. Now they recruit pretty hard. Um, so that was a good memory. Um, let's see. I mean, that whole year, that whole super senior year, just, we gelled so well as teammates. Um, you know, we, we knew our strengths, we knew our weaknesses, um, had awesome guys, you know, from, from top to bottom on that team. So I would say everything about that year, obviously going up to St. John's is cool. Um, you know, Collegeville playing in the, the, uh, the bowl up there. Um, it's a special atmosphere. There's no doubt about that. You roll into the buses. First time we rolled in, they had a bunch of tailgates. We tried to go back way. Um, and <laughs> We were driving through back way and there's a bunch of tailgates going on. And as we're driving through, we're getting flicked off by all the tailgates up there. So <laughs> that's kind of what's special about it. I mean, um, just remembering stuff like that's been pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it would have been nice, you know, I think, I think we walked into Whitewater that year. And again, it was one of those unknowns where we, Hadn't seen a team like that, but I think if we got a second shot at them, I always think about that. I think we would have played a lot better and it would have been, you know, a lot tighter and maybe pulling it off. Um, they ended up winning the national championship that year. Um, but overall, I mean, it's it was awesome memories. And like I said, Caruso going from two and eight to playing in a national semifinal. I mean, that's that's in a five year span there, so pretty special deal. Incredible, incredible, mm -hmm. and and. and you know, it's funny you bring up the, the Johnny deal with them all flicking you off. I remember <laughs> when I was finally off the team and I was still with the basketball team. We went up there as a group and they knew who the basketball guys were. I mean, they're all, I mean, Tommy Hannon is what, 680? He claims to be 680, yeah. might be 6'7, six, 6'6, seven, six, six, but he says he's 6'8. Yeah. But uh, I mean, everybody knew who everybody was and they'd circle us and they'd try to fight us just when we were just trying to walk in to watch the game. Like, Come on, guys, for real? This is how we're doing? Yeah. But, yeah, and I, the, the other thing I wanted to say, too, is for people that don't know about that rivalry, what would you tell them? What would you say it is? 
<laughs> I mean, it's cliche to say, but like, it's it's for sure the best small school rivalry out there. Um, it's nothing that you can describe. I think what makes it so great is the fact that we all end up in the same co-working environments after college. So you hold on to that rivalry where, you know, maybe some of these other schools that have great rivalries, you might be two states away where we all end up in the twin cities fighting over the same, same jobs, you know, working in the same cubicles next to each other, same office spaces. So, I mean, it clicks on once that, once that, that Monday of the Tommy Johnny week, you know, happens, it's literally nonstop badgering back and forth with, with all your Johnny buddies, whether you're texting them, emailing them, calling them, um, you got wagers going on the game, which I lost pretty good amount last year, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, it's nonstop and it's so fun. I mean, it's so special. It's going to be, it's going to be weird that it's gone, you know, for forever. But, uh, um, it was one of the most special things that I've seen. I mean, it, they, they brought up ESPN one year. What, what division three football teams get to have ESPN on their campus for game day? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and is it really gone for, I thought they're going to try to make it still work. Well, the thing that you get to think about is where does that benefit St. Thomas? It doesn't. If you're going division one, the only thing that, and come from playing a division three team is an upset, which is going to absolutely throttle your program. Yeah. Um, kind of look back at why the Gophers stopped playing North Dakota state because North Dakota state upset them that one year. And all of a sudden recruits are creeping up to North Dakota state. Um, so same thing. I mean, I think the Johnnies are spreading that rumor more than the Tommies. I think we're kind of on the greener pastures, I would say in a sense. Um, but that won't happen. As long as they're still Division Three, there's no no chance that that we would play them. Yeah, that that was amazing to be around the atmosphere. I mean, the one time didn't we have like thirty five thousand people there at one point? Yeah, I mean that that game at uh, uh, TCF or or uh, Target Field. Target Field. At Target Field. I mean, what a special atmosphere that was. Yeah, I think that was thirty seven thousand at that game. I mean, again, you're thinking about a Division Three. Division three football, like you don't get that. You don't get that kind of an experience anywhere else playing division three, you know, playing division two. I don't think you get that experience anywhere. Yeah. I don't think so either. I completely agree with that. And the crazy thing too, is even when you're, uh, when it was going on, when I wasn't a player any longer and I was still going to school, everybody's, I mean, you got so many UST kids doing a few kegs or whatever. So you have Johnny's coming into these kegs. And they're actually yeah. being polite. Like, once you're on the field, they hate each other, blah, 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 blah. But when we're at the kegs, they're paying $5 a cup. Everybody's having a great time. It was, it, everybody came together then. So I got a kick out of um, this. Caruso would never let us do this. And thank God. But for whatever reason, the Johnnies, when they'd come down and play at St. Thomas, they were allowed to just stay down there for the night. So sometimes they'd end up at our parties, and we'd be like, no, no, you get, get out of here. Like, this is not happening. But for whatever reason, like, their coach let them stay down at St. Thomas just to party it up for a night. <laughs> that, that would not fly with, with Coach Caruso. I'm surprised I mean, there was not a lot more fights. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't I – don't, I wouldn't say that we were much, much fighters. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, Tower, 
to avoid everybody from going out like during basketball season you're not allowed to party it's an unwritten rule he wouldn't tell you it but he purposely set up a practice that next morning at like 4 a.m so you can't oh, try yeah. it try to go out <laughs> try it. i'll see you in the morning yeah, every time he was a genius in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well you know after college you actually were gonna go play pro ball with Fritz, well against fritz right Odin, um, um, Franken Knights, the American Football League in Rothenburg, Germany. Yeah, so it was kind of, so it was cool. Um, Coach Caruso calls me and Fritz into his office after the season. And we were both still kind of training a little bit, you know, if anything was going to come about. But um, a team called the Schwabish Hall Unicorns had called and they inquired about both Fritz and myself. So, um, I think the way it works in the German league, you can have one or two Americans on the field at a time. So generally they'll take one defensive guy and one offensive guy. Um, so they called about me and Fritz and for sure they had an offensive position on Schwabish Hall defensive. They were waiting for a guy from Linfield to give a decision. Are you going to come back or are you not? And he was just absolute stud nose guard. Um, whatever, like a month went out and uh, the guy finally said, yeah, I'm going to come back for one more year. So I was like, well, you know, it kind of wet my whistle here thinking about this. So um, ended up the Franken Knights reached out to me. Um, I was going to go over um, my like hips and joints were hurting real bad. So I went into the doctor and the doctor is just like, hey, if you want to still walk comfortably, you know, in, in 20, 30 years, I would just hang it up. So I was like, all right, that's enough for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I was excited about the opportunity. Fritz had two awesome years there. I think he won the uh, MVP the first year. They won a championship um, the first year he was there as well. And Fritz just talks about it all the time, how he met awesome friends. I think some of the guys even came to his wedding that he played on the team with. Um, so it sounds like a great experience. I would highly recommend it. I mean, it's, it's kind of just like studying abroad, but you get to play football and and drink some German beer and, uh, <laughs> you know, meet some, see some different culture and meet new people. You know, I, I know you, dude, you're a competitor. I know that had to be eating you up. I, even though the health stuff, the hip injury, like I get it. I understand hanging it up, but I know that had to eat you alive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was just kind of like a blow. Um, you know, I think we were probably three months, four months in the training after the season. And, uh, and then to be told that, you know, it's kind of like you want to prove the doctor wrong, but then in the back of your mind, you're also like, huh, if I ever have kids, I would like to be able to play football in the backyard with them. You know what I mean? Um, you're not making much money over there. I think it was like something like 2000 or 2,500 euros a month. Um, but they paid for your accommodation and they paid for your car. Um, so as much fun as it would have been, um, it's probably the right decision. And in some way or another, the world kind of aligned and my work sent me over here anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> Were you excited, though? I mean, if you could have done it, you would have lined up against Fritz. You would have finally been able to see who's who. Oh, I told him that plenty of times. He wouldn't have been catching any balls over the middle. I guarantee that. <laughs> Fritz, we'll have to tell Fritz, get him on the show so we can hear your side of the story. <laughs> oh, he would uh he would definitely have a couple things to say. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. Um so then you actually get into coaching a little bit after football. You start yeah. off coaching high school girl or JV girls hockey team, right? 
I didn't know you could dig that deep and find Oh, that man, I was digging Google. It's a hell of a place. Yeah. Yeah, so actually, um, I took over as a defense coordinator at Hill Murray, um, the varsity football team, right out of college. So I implemented our St. Thomas defense to like a dumbed-down level. Um, absolutely fell in love with it. Different perspective. Loved watching film all the way through college anyway. Yep. So all of a sudden I get to break it down, put together game plans. Um, I spent a lot of time with the St. Thomas staff preparing for that season and the seasons after. Um, so that was fun. I got to spend more time with them. And then after, so we went to the state tournament that year, which was, which was great for the Homery program. I think it was the second time in like 10 years that we've been to the state tournament for football, obviously known for hockey at Hillmurray. Um, and then my old, hockey coach is now or was the girls hockey coach at hill murray and he said hey i can't fill a position on the jv can you help me out so it was a it was a good learning experience i mean when you think about coaching um and they always say you got to coach every athlete different well try coaching both boys and girls that's that's about as challenging as it gets from a perspective of figuring out how to make things tick i mean you go from a football field where you can generally get in the guy's face, you know, and then you go to um, the hockey rink, JV girls, where they're seventh and eighth grade girls. And if you say something that's maybe a little too aggressive, you might see some tears coming down their face. So, yeah, yeah, that was a, it was a good, it was a good learning experience. I'd never take it back, but uh, I'm probably a little bit more of an aggressive coach. So wasn't a good thing. I don't think long term that's where I belong. <laughs> well, so the the weirdest thing though, like you said, you're the D coordinator, and before you got there, were you there when Brooks Bowlinger was there, the former Vikings? So I coached with him over the summer. So when I was okay. training for my super senior year of football, I spent the whole summer with him. So I got to know Brooks really well. Still really good friends with Brooks. Joe Lepshe, who was at Hill Murray when yep. we were there, he was the defensive coordinator at that time. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think he applied for the head coaching job, but he didn't get it. And then Mark Maurer came in, took over as the head coach, and offered me the D coordinator job. And it, it's actually crazy because Brooks actually left because he went to go become the QB coach for Pitt. I don't even know if he's still there or not. No, so he went to Pitt for two years, um, came back, took a year off, then the Korean Durham Hall head coach job opened up. So we re, we reunited. If you look down a little bit farther down the line, I was the D coordinator from at Creed Durham Hall, I think, in 2017 or 16. Well, that's got to be kind of crazy going from Hill Murray to CDH. Well, there's got to be some hostility. Everybody doesn't like CDH out there. Well, I mean, again, it goes back to like Hill Murray is known for a hockey school. So CDH probably looks at Hill Murray. And that might make some CDH people mad, but you probably look at Hill Murray at, at hockey as Hill Murray kind of looks at CDH in football. Yep. You know, there's almost two tiers. Yep. Um, and it's, it's for sure the case in football. I mean, the athletes that I had an opportunity to coach at Crean Durham Hall, it was so fun. I mean, we had guys blitzing off the edge that were, it would probably have been running backs and wide receivers at Hill Murray. Um, and they, they hit, they knew football, they knew lingo. Um, it was just a different, different breed of athletes. So 
it was an absolute blast at Korean Durham Hall. If I didn't take the job internationally, I would hope that I'd still be at Korean Durham Hall. I mean, it was so much fun and the tradition and the alumni and you could feel it all there. It's just, it's a special place for football. I love your response because it's definitely keeping the door open. So when anybody from CDH hears this, they'll know to call yeah. you when you're back. Yeah, I'll send them my resume. <laughs> well, this is something I don't even know if you could talk about because you end up becoming the Hill Murray head coach. And it's all because of a somewhat scandal that happened to Mark Maurer. Um, wow, you found that too. Yeah, that's all over, man. It's everywhere. <laughs> So I don't know what can be talked about there or not, or if you just want to leave it alone or. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I've got all the respect in the world for Mark. Um, he made a bad decision. Um, I think it's one that, that he regrets to this day, but it's something that you can't dwell on for the rest of your life. Um, it sucked. I mean, it was a blow to the school of Hill Murray. It was a blow to Mark Maurer, who I could consider a friend. He's, He's a good person deep down. He made a made a horrible decision at the time. Um, but kind of like, you know, for personally, like everything kind of, you know, happens for a reason. Um, you know, I get an opportunity to be a head coach um, kind of because of that. You know, you bring back in an alum who knows the school, loves the school, cared about those kids in the program, wanted to make sure like they knew someone was there for them. Um, so... I got a chance to be the head coach for two years and ended up coaching um, one of the players who is the owner of the company I work for now. So that's how that connection yeah. happened. That's <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. One door closes, another one opens. That's, that's insane. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was wild though. It's, you have, it's just, uh, you kind of, like just how um, it kind of blew up in the news. I mean, again, Mark Maurer, he's a big time, you know, kind of a, a St. Paul legend back in the day. So he's got the Maurer name, obviously. And then Hill Murray private school, you know, those are all things that, that attract news, you know? Oh, yeah. So if it were at some smaller school, you may have never heard about it. Um, if it wasn't the Maurer name, you probably wouldn't have heard about it. I mean, I think there was like 70 other people that got busted in that same, you know, thing. Yeah. And they picked the same <laughs> out of everybody. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. how it works. It's yeah. It, and it's sad. I, I hated to, I, I kind of wanted to get into other things and just the way that our show ended with the Joe Rogan deal. Cause I was going to talk about your work at the end of it, but then Joe Rogan kind of threw us at the beginning of our show with that. <laughs> so I'm sorry to end it like that, but man, it, it is, I mean, everybody makes tough decisions, and it does suck. Somebody always is a scapegoat, it seems like. And it sounds like he's taking it on the chin and move forward, and that's how mm -hmm. men handle things. So that's just that, that's badass to hear it, that he's doing it that way. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure he's making the right moves now, you know? Yeah, make a mistake, just man up to it and learn from it and uh, don't make the same mistake again, I guess. That's the that's best lesson you can learn, yeah. That's what Caruso taught us as well. <laughs> we got to get Caruso. You got to hit him up. You think he could be the next guest on the show? I think he would be a phenomenal guest. I think he, I listen to one of the podcasts he does. I mean, he's, he's electric on them. Um, I'll, I'll, once, once this comes out, I'll shoot it over to him and um, I'll see if I can help you out with that one. I think That'd he'd be, be up for it. Love yeah. to have him on there, man. That'd, that'd be phenomenal. Yeah. I'm glad you came on. I, I was shocked when Hazy said you could hook it up. <laughs> Shout out John Hazy. That was that was yeah, awesome. He's a good buddy. Yeah.
Thanks, Dana. I'll, I'll bother you later, and, you know, good luck overseas, and hopefully when you get back, we grab a beer or something. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. It's it's cool that the guests you've had and what you're building there as well. So I think someone's got to turn the mic around and interview you one of these times. Oh, I don't know, man. There's, there's a lot of stuff back here. I don't know if everybody wants to hear about that. <laughs> I'll throw a couple of questions out for him. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs>